Welcome to Full Focus. Credited with 129 actor roles on IMDb, Canadian Van Helsing star Alex Ponovich sure keeps busy. He joins me for an engaging conversation about his upbringing in Winnipeg, Manitoba, shares incredibly valuable tips for anyone finding themselves in an audition room, and tells the story of how Jason Momoa convinced him to take a role on the Apple TV Plus hit series, C. You can currently catch him on TNT's Snowpiercer opposite Jennifer Connelly. Without further ado, we're going in three, two, one, full focus. Alex, welcome to Full Focus. Uh, excited to have you on the show. How's it going? It's going fantastic. Is it really? <laughs> Despite the lockdown, huh? Despite the lockdown, you know, I'm healthy, I'm happy, and you know, the world's in turmoil, and we just have to support and love each other and, and just kind of move forward. So, yeah, f- yeah, no, for sure, I agree. And here's here's something funny, right? I was looking looking you up. I was doing little research. And every single show, podcast, uh, a news show, or you know, magazine show you're on, every host used a different TV show or movie to introduce you because you've done so like so many of them, right? I mean, you're a busy guy. Actually, you've been into in like, according to IMDb, you've you credited in 129 movies and TV shows as actor. Right. So and that probably ramped up too. Like you started a little slower and then you got busier and busier. So recently you're probably like really working hard, you know, and we'll get to all of that. But before we go there, let's talk a little bit about your background. I know you mm-hmm. you're a Canadian guy. You grew up in in Winnipeg, is that right? And you're right. born to Yugoslavian parents, Croatian and Serbian to in today's world, right? How was that growing up with immigrant families like that, you know? I, I never knew it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, you just grow up the way you grow up. And I never really had um, a thought of going, you know, I, I'm of immigrant parents. It was just what it was. And I guess it was the neighborhood we lived in. It was the people that we knew. It just wasn't, uh, wasn't that big of an issue. But where it was an issue, especially later on in life, when my parents would tell me about how tough it was, I didn't know it at the time, but when I get older and hearing the stories like, you know, my mom, you know, uh, my mom and dad were considered stupid because they didn't know the language. So they were considered inferior just because they didn't know the language. So they had to work that much harder to get to where they needed to go. And um, obviously learning English was a big part of that. My mom was really determined to learn it and own her own business. So she was she she was put in a, in a position where she could have just got, um, you know, a, a job that she could just put a, a food on the table, which I totally understand. But she wanted more, so she, you know, owned her own travel agency and and, and became very successful in that. And my dad works with her, so. Uh, but but hearing the plights of it and hearing the struggles is really kind of took me. I, I was just spoiled to not know it. You know, they didn't want to share that with us, me and my brother. Did you like, um, did, did the culture, the, 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 the Yugoslavian culture, did that come up? I mean, did that play a big role in your life early on? Food, language, that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, language. They really wanted me to know English. So we, did, we you know, practiced English in the house. Um, but it was also like the Serbian traditions that we would have, like the bre- the, the um, holidays was the big thing for us and getting other Serbians that, that were in the community and kind of bonding over, over what we celebrate in that culture. So 
um, yeah, I, I got to know a lot about my, my own culture through through that. And um, but also, you know, they they really wanted to make a life for themselves, and and so we spoke mostly English in the house. You you growing up, and you know, you're kind of like you're finding the arts to be somewhat of an interesting genre for you to pursue. When did that happen? I know, I understand you're in a metal band, right? Or in some sort of a music yeah. band. Um, yeah. Did was, you have like the long was, hair and, and you did the whole thing? And yeah, oh, I did the whole <laughs> thing. I had all the hair, man. I had not as much anymore, but uh, I had all the hair. That's not bad still though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I, I stumbled upon it because you know, I, I was quite athletic. I had I loved baseball, played baseball at a pretty good level and, and boxing was a huge thing for me and football, high school football. Um, and but it was interesting because earlier in my life, uh, my dad and I kind of butt, butted heads. So anything I did on a physical nature, because he was an ex-boxer, anything I did on a physical nature, um, he would want to be there. And that's what I didn't want. But but I then stumbled onto music and he was like, I don't want no part of that. I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's something I'll do. So I stumbled upon it just to kind of, you know, get away from from butting heads with my pops. <laughs> so and you didn't so, really love it. You just wanted to go to, get away from your dad? I mean, or you fell in love with it eventually then, I'm sure, right? Or, pardon me? I'm saying you fell in love with the music part then. I, you know, I'm, I mean, it oh, sounds like yeah. you were trying to do, do that to get away from your dad at the time. Well... <laughs> At the time, I loved music, and it was like, oh, not only do I love it, he doesn't want to be involved in it. And so that was like, and, and I'm talking, you know, when you're a young teenager, 13, 14 years old, you're a little bit more re rebellious. You think you know everything. And, and so it was de I was definitely a challenge for my parents and my pops. But it was something that I was like, wow, I, I, I really love this. And from that grew to me playing in, in this band, literally from junior high high school into you know after high school after we graduated we toured all over Canada and I didn't start late until very late in my in my acting career in my mid-30s basically that's when um, you started so acting I, when I, you were in your mid-30s yeah when I when I really when I took it seriously like I got um cast from a casting director when I was in Winnipeg um and I just dabbled in it because music was my thing. But I, I started going, oh, I, ooh, this is kind of nice. I really like telling stories and, and the acting aspect of it. I wasn't a very good musician. I was great with the band. <laughs> but I, like I, I was more of a performer, but I, I wasn't a very good bass player. And so for me, you know, to go out on my own as a bass player, it's just that you're always you're surviving on three, four, five other guys mm -hmm. in the band. If one guy can't make practice, then what do you do? And, mm -hmm. and, but acting was something that I can control somewhat. It was like my effort, my, my, uh, my, my journey. So then I just had a completely different career in, uh, 35 on. 35. Okay. Well, that's pretty, I mean, that's, could be encouraging for folks out there that are thinking like at a later age to want to jump Believe into me, acting. I'm, I'm so grateful for all the opportunities and, and the hard work that that I did to, to end up in this position. But if you that's the biggest thing, like I was talking to an actor friend of mine who just, you know, you can't be in this business to be famous or to be rich because the obstacles that are in the way, what's really good is the through line. What really is the line that keeps you there is the love of it. You just have to love the art to keep going because you will get no's and you'll get a lot of no's 
Um, and the only thing that keeps you driving is, is the, that you just love it. The passion, right? Um, and so talking about getting no's, you also got a lot of yeses eventually, right? So I think it was like 1994 was when you got your first TV gig, was it? And then from there, you, I guess, what, fell in love with it and you want to do more and more of it? Well, it, that was the one, that was the first thing that I did where I just got cast and it was, a, it was just like, wow, this is very cool, but music is my thing. And so I just, in, I did enjoy it. I became friends with people, but it wasn't a serious, it wasn't like, okay, that's it, I'm doing acting. It was just a little dabble. And then I dabbled a little bit more because I was in Winnipeg and they cast. Uh, but when I made it a serious move to go, okay, this is now my career. I'm not going to be playing music. Moving to Vancouver where I had opportunity to make some money in a cover band or, or play at a bar. It, it, it wasn't something that I wanted to do because I wanted to strictly focus on my craft. Mm -hmm. and so that's when it started. You know, I really started hustling and, and getting the nose, a lot of nose and mm -hmm. pushing through and um, having great people around me that motivate me. So yeah, I, I got really lucky. Yeah. So, and then, okay. So, you know, looking at your IMDb profile, there, it just, goes on and on and on, right? There's so many different roles that you've played along along the way. And you've worked with some amazing actors and actresses along the way as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that too, you know? But what I want to know is, you know, I'm sure all of these roles, they required some sort of an audition, right? Um, to get those roles. You didn't just show up on set and said, hey, pick me kind of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know, because yes, there is a bunch of no's that you got, but... Clearly, there's a lot of yeses as well. What are some of the tips and, you know, some of the, you know, recommendations for someone that's listening and says, you know what, I want to be an actor and I have this second audition or I got an audition coming up, you know, and how do I prepare myself? What do I do to increase my chances to actually go on a second audition or even make the part? Yeah, and, and that's trial and error. I think everyone's going to need to know um like put their ego in their pocket and need to know what are the things that they need to work on or, or how they enter a room. And the only way you know that, like I can give all the advice in the world, but you, you have to know each audition is a moment to help you grow for the next audition. So I got, I was really fortunate with the fact that when later in my life, I really wanted to be successful. I was a little bit more mature. And for me to go into auditions, it was, it was like to win the room, um, not necessarily win the role on the page, but to win the people in the room. And even though I may have known it mentally, I viscerally didn't know it yet. My body had to go through those moments to go, oh, my God, I don't know why I froze up in that one. Why am I all nervous right now? I don't understand why I'm nervous. And and boxing was a huge help for me to, to for relaxing because, you know, before a fight, you get su super nervous. And the only way to be an effective boxer is to be relaxed and be clear-headed as opposed to, you know, anxious. And what would and you I like go box needs... before before your auditions? You'd go and like you know start oh, training. Oh yeah, I would, I would shadow box for sure. Yeah, I would shadow box before an audition just to stay all loose and then walk into the room with a little bit more confidence. And but I think that's I think the biggest thing there's there's the thing I like to also do when I start feeling that is just like fuck it like. That's that. Can I swear on here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So it. It, it's just that that term. Fuck it. It's, mm -hmm. I did the work. Um, I know how I want to be in the room, and now get rid of all the bullshit. Just fuck it, and just go have fun. And 
and I, and as time went on, those those kind of things started being epiphanies to me, and it started becoming a visceral thing, a mind body connection as opposed to a mind, and your body doesn't react. Let's so, talk about that, right? I mean, the whole the whole fuck it mentality, you know. I think there's something to that because when you're going into somewhere with the mentality of I've got nothing to lose, it's almost like you give it your all and the energy and chemistry just kind of starts coming together, right? I think I everybody's totally got to find their own fuck it kind of mentality. That's exactly it. I mean, yes, you have to prepare, you have to, you know, be on point with your lines, but that is secondary compared to how you walk in. I can I, and again, I'll use another boxing analogy. You can have the best boxer in the world, the most gifted and so fast, and though his movement is impeccable. But if he doesn't have cardio, you're, you're not going to see it because he's going to get tired in like a round, and then all that goes out the window. So if you are – the only way to show those skills is to get prepared. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that and then you walk into the room and it may not go the way you want it to go, and that's okay. But if you're holding on to an idea of how it's going to be in the room, and then once something goes off a little bit, it throws you off. Because at the end of the day, you're your own director when you go into an audition. You read the lines, you go, okay, I, I think this character is this, and this line means this. And so not only do you have to walk in totally committed to the choices that you have made, but when the director wants to redirect you, you're open. You're just like, yeah, whatever you need. But as long as you know the basis of the character. So all that comes with time. And uh, that's the only that's the only advice I can get is just, you know, just relax and enjoy the room and, and enjoy the people and be prepared. Talking about the people, who, who do you encounter in these auditions um, for some of these bigger TV shows and movies? Is it the actual well, you, director will be there or someone... In, 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 you know, in place of the director or how does that work? Well, yeah, it's either, you know, in today's day and age with what the pandemic and everything, a lot of stuff is on tape. So you can, you can really kind of, um, um, uh, it, it becomes malleable. You, you can shape it and have the right camera angle. You can do it five or six times. But when you go into an audition, not only are you walking into a new environment, so your energy and whatever this environment is, you kind of want to, you kind of want to just kind of float right into it. And then there's other actors that are going for the same job. And sometimes that can get, you know, it's like, oh my God, like I see a guy, I'm like, oh, he is good. He is perfect for this role. And you're like, you know, like, why are you here, man? But you, but it's that kind of a thing. And then you can literally roll right into the competition aspect of it. It's like, okay, head down. And then when you get into the room, um, it's the cast, mostly it's the casting director you really want to do a great job for. You getting the gig is obviously bonus, but you, um, you having a good relationship with the casting director will allow you more opportunity to get into the room with that casting director. And then let's say you do well, then the producer and director come in and you just do your thing and just be open to the dialogue in the room. Yeah, no, that's that sounds about right. Um, let's talk about you know the current show that you're on, Snowpiercer. I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of timely, right? I mean, you're thinking about you know income inequality. You're talking about what's going on with the coronavirus. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic world. It's a train based on a movie, uh, 
which I actually liked and, and I watched, right? And, uh, you know, you're working uh, opposite Jennifer Connelly, with, you know, the brilliant actress. Um, talk to me a little bit about the experience of, obviously it's a sci-fi film or a, a TV show. Uh, it's, it's a train that's, you know, going through cold, unlivable terrain. And, um, and it's divided by classes, right? Uh, those in the upper first class have the privileges and then those in the lower don't have those privileges, right? Um, so talk to me about that experience because obviously, you know, you didn't shoot, I mean, first of all, where did you all shoot this? Did you shoot it in Vancouver? Yeah, we shot it in Vancouver in a studio. And uh, it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was great because I've done a lot of things where I'm out in the environment and Vancouver can get really rainy and cold in the winter. And uh, so sometimes it's not as fun as you think, but with Snowpiercer, we shoot on set in, in train cars. And, um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's uh, shot in Vancouver in a studio and they built like an amazing, amazing train cars. It's phenomenal. Is it a lot of green screen as well that you you're, uh, or is it most? There is some, but not not a ton. Yeah, but there is definitely some for sure. The exteriors, yeah. So, what's your I guess biggest takeaway from this from this project? You know, the Snowpiercer project. Wow, my, my it's it's interesting because you get to see how classes operate and how one class will hold on to their privilege for dear life, regardless if it's a moral thing or not, um, whatever they can do to hold on. And then you see the not so privileged people want to grab onto anything that they, they seek because they deserve it. So the, the desire for somebody to keep it and the desire for somebody to take it are exactly the same. And, and they're both, um, they're both done in a selfish manner, but one is done where, you know, I don't want you to take what, what I already have. And the other one is like, I deserve to be equal, you know? Um, so it's an interesting dichotomy of how, how, how classes and, and, and um, conflict happen within the kind of uh, class setting of Snowpiercer. It kind of reflects today's society a little bit. I mean, you have the establishment that's got it all, right? And then you have the those who aspire to be that. And the establishment, it's not easy to get in there. I mean, you have to know the right people, be lucky, be you know, growing up around the right people and just kind of getting in there. I guess it's similar to Snowpiercer. It's just on a train. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's been weird with the, what the world has been going through and, and knowing what we just shot, like especially the, like the rest of this season is pretty powerful and I can't wait for people to see it. Your physique, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, 6'5", I think, you're a tall dude. Um, and you play a lot of... You know, would you say you, you, you're specializing in a genre because of it? Does it help with it? I mean, you do a lot of sci-fi, you lo a lot of action stuff, you know. Um, does it come with, with the physique? Does that help? Um, with yeah, well, physique? I mean, it, it, it helps. And then, it, it, you know, it's always a double-edged sword. Like, there, there's roles that I've gotten because, you know, uh, um, like, you can have two guys that they're looking for an intimidating cast. You can have two guys that are just as great um, with the choices that they made as actors in the room. And then it's the aesthetic of going, well, you know what? We already got a couple smaller guys here. Maybe we need a big guy. So let's go with Alex. So it's not necessarily the talent that you're looking at. You're looking at the ensemble. Mm -hmm. And there's times where I've lost gigs because of my size. There was one gig that I was doing and, 
and I ended up saving it. But there was one gig that I was doing where the the lead basically um, didn't like that. He obviously he didn't meet me when I was cast. He didn't have a say in it. So, but when we got together, it was like this kind of a discrepancy, right? And it just didn't look good. He didn't feel good about it. And I said, I was like, I heard about it that they might take scenes away from me now. So I'm not in as many scenes with him. Mm-hmm. And it was in an office and I went, oh, okay, well, why don't I just roll in to the scene in my, with my chair and I'm sitting down, <laughs> say my lines and then roll out. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay. So I got to save it, luckily. But that was your was idea? That was your idea? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they took it, but, right? But, but, but yeah, yeah. It was what, great. what movie was that? Or what uh, show? Uh, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to out the, well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but it was, um, things like that, that, you know, I lose gigs because of my height and I get gigs because of my height. Mm-hmm. And it's just how you, you know, you can't, you can't help stuff like that. You, mm-hmm. can, you just got to do the best of your ability and sci-fi stuff. is just a lot of stuff shoots in, in Vancouver. And again, it's that relationship with casting directors and, and they're, phenomenal casting directors in Vancouver and they're cheerleaders. They want you to get the job. They, they, they champion everyone in the room. And that's a beautiful thing to have when you're, when you're wanting to go for a job. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely helps and it definitely hinders. So, uh, talking about, you know, casting directors and the relationship you need to have with them. Um, you know, when you, when, you know, you, you also turn down audition. I mean, roles right i mean i i saw you know apple plus series c um that that was one that you didn't feel it was big enough of a role for you at first but someone called you and said you know what you need to be on this can you tell us about yeah. that story a little bit well yeah well i learned a lot during this process and jason momo and i shot a show um in vancouver he was a lead of a show called stargate atlantis and I had a guest spot on it. We became very fast friends. And that was like 12 years ago type thing. And, um, and then the show ended and he, and he went on to do the amazing things that he's done. And he told me about, you know, this show that's possibly coming to Vancouver and if I would want to be a part of it. And I didn't, I didn't like the idea that the casting people or the director would go, hey, uh, my buddy, Alex, you know, why don't you look at him? I didn't want any favors. I didn't want to be known as Jason's buddy. I wanted to earn it on my own merit. And I auditioned for a role that I did not get. Um, but And I never told Jason about it. And then I was offered a role by the director that was smaller. And I was like, mm, you know, I think I want to hold out for something bigger. So I turned it down without talking to Jason. Right. And then they asked me again with another offer and I, and I was like, yeah, I just, I'd rather roll the dice and see if there's a bigger role coming up in the episode. And then Jay and him were talking and he said, you know, I had this great, I, I want this, this one actor for this role, but he's, he's, he turns it down. And Jason goes, well, who was it? And he said, my name, he was like, what? And he jumped on the phone. He's like, it's such an epic scene. It's better than any other guest star. And you just, it's, you're perfect for it. Uh, and then I said, yes, yes, I'll do it. How can you say no to that, right? Right. Yeah. But not only that, mm-hmm. it ended up being one of the most creative um, and proud roles that I've ever done. And I, I was about to turn it down because I didn't think it was enough. And it, it so was more than I ever expected and, and, and thought would happen. 
um, just the collaboration with the makeup department and with Jason and with the director, Francis Lawrence, and, and them allowing me to create this character the way I created it. And the other thing that's really trippy for an actor is that you go into audition for a role and then you get offered another role. Well, when you audition for a role and you get the role, that basically means the director saw what you did and goes, I like how you represented that role. But when they offer you another role, you haven't, you haven't done anything to where they go, yeah, I love the way you're doing that. So for me showing up on set with the character that I developed and committed to, where the director could easily go, uh, yeah, no, can we try something else? Like, I don't know what you're doing there. And then you're like, oh no, like I don't know what to do now. And you got to try to make something up. So they allowed me the freedom. Um, and I was quite nervous be before the first take because he's never seen me do the character. And then when I did it and he enjoyed it, then it gave me that much more freedom. And, mm -hmm. and we developed the scenes and we really worked on it. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good learning lesson that not every small gig isn't an important gig. Yeah, every no, gig absolutely. And it's sometimes the ones that you don't look forward to turn out to be the most amazing ones, you know, it's That's like very true. unexpected, very true. you know, twist like, Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and, and Jason is not the only one that is, you know, an amazing actor you've worked with. You've worked with a slew of them over the years. You know, I think your favorite one is Anthony Hopkins though. Right. Um, yeah, is, man. Is, is, is Hopkins, that, yeah. I was just such a fan, like growing up, like I, I must've watched, you know, legends of the fall, like 50 times just growing up and, you know, Silence of the Lambs, and you know, and he's done, you know, Remains of the Day. Like, he's just done some phenomenal work, and, and then all of a sudden I have this opportunity to work with him. And I'm like, this is this is just too good to be true. And I had the moment of, you know, okay, don't fangirl. Don't be that guy that fangirls. Just relax. Breathe, Alex, breathe. And then he walks in, and I played it too cool. He was like, hello, I'm, I, he called himself Tony. He goes, hello, I'm Tony. And I'm like, hey. And I turned around and I was like, oh, that was too, ah. and I went back. I was like, sorry, I'm just really like, I'm just such a fan. And then we hit it off. And as we hit it off, I, I got to know more about him. And then in my brain, I'm freaking out going, I can't believe I'm having this amazing conversation with the legend. And then when we went to go shoot, it was like, cause I've, I've studied a lot with a lot of great acting coaches and you work on the scene. You kind of, in class, you just work on it. And that's what we ended up doing. He was, we was, do you mind if we improv? I went, I, I would love to improv. So we do this scene and he kind of, he's supposed to run out and then that's the end of the scene. And he comes back in the rehearsal and he says, oh my God, Alex, make sure you say that thing because it makes me bring my gun up uh, right away. I went, okay, but you got to say that other thing that you said because it'll make me, me bring my gun up. It was okay. And we're just jamming. We're just jamming on, on the scene. Mm -hmm. And it was so mind blowing that it just worked that you sit back and go, that's not only mm -hmm. an inspiring, one of the most talented actors that our generation's ever seen, but we just worked on a level that your brain doesn't really compute. You mm -hmm. know, it just, it was just two dudes working in class. That's what it felt like. And yeah, no, was, I mean, it was a great, you could see that there was some real, you know, authentic, you know, energy there between you guys. I mean, there's even a, there's a selfie video you took with him on set as well. And it seemed just yeah. very funny. And he was, he was mocking somebody, right? Like, what was that? Yeah, Marlon Brando. Oh, Marlon Brando. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
yeah. It was awesome. It it, was what awesome. was the film again that, that you guys were working on? Uh, it was called Blackway. It was That's produced. Right. Uh, Blackways, yeah. It was produced by Enderby Entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like it was, a cold set great. too. Pardon? It looked like a cold set. Yeah, it was cold. It was yeah. it was cold. But man, Ray Liotta and Anthony Hopkins, come on, that was awesome. <laughs> Julia Stiles, it was great. So, um, all right. So your home is um, in in Vancouver, and you know. Before we and you're working on some you know exciting things in in in, in your hometown because you've you you strongly believe in it you know and, and we'll talk about that in in a second, but one thing I wanted to talk to you about before is you know um, soft skills in in Hollywood. It seems like they seem they're very important to know how to you know etiquette and acumen and how to talk to the right people the right way, not be stubborn or be a diva or, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to maintain a relationship because nobody really wants to work with a dick un unless you're like this amazing superstar and you can just afford to be one, which you shouldn't be one anyways. But that's a different right. story, right? Um, but talk to me a little bit about how important that is for people that are listening now that think they're like hot stuff, right? Um, but you got it. Humility goes a long way sometimes, too. I totally agree. I mean, one of the, one of the things for me is that I, I, I yeah, no, no one want, wants to work with a dick. And I had worked with people that were dicks that were a part of a show. And I, like, I love going to work every day. I love meeting new people. I love like you're literally walking on a set and you're like first day of school type thing. You know what I mean? So there's a whole family there and you just jump into a guest star show or whatever. And you know, you, you want to be able, not only do you want to have an amazing time and creative time, but you also want to be accepted. And so when you don't have a good host, that's a part of a show that doesn't do that. It can't, I, I've been on the receiving end. It's not a great feeling and, and there's no reason for it. And then I've been on shows where like they have been amazing hosts, for instance, uh, Jared and Jensen in, in, um, in Supernatural, They've been doing the show for 15 years and everybody has nothing but amazing things to say because they're so welcoming. And then with Van Helsing, I had the opportunity uh, because I was a big part of the show that I can now be one of those hosts that I can welcome people in. So people knew what the show in the trailer. Hey, man, how are you? Good. Uh, I, thanks for coming on, man. You're really helping us with the show. And, you know, and then they come in with a like, oh, this is going to be a blast and they're going to be even more creative. Um, so to nurture that stuff and, and try to be not only great when the camera's rolling and do your best, but also great when the camera's off, because mm -hmm. that's most of the time that you're dealing with people, setting up shots, mm -hmm. helping with stuff. And, and I just love the idea of collaborating and, and mm -hmm. generously collaborating and just throwing the ego, ego aside and, and just mm -hmm. moving forward. And chances are you'll see each other again down the down the road on some set. Yeah, right? and why? Yeah, and, you know, and it's it's yeah. just keeping your integrity. You know, like mm -hmm. if somebody's disrespecting you, how do you want to handle it? But just don't let it keep on happening. You know. Yeah, um, and you're six five and a boxer. I don't know who would who would want to do. <laughs> uh, let's go. <laughs> uh, anyways, talk. Let's talk about the v Vancouver production community. Um, what is it like? And and. Let's talk about crew because, you know, er, you know, no film or TV show or content is, 
you know, complete without an amazing crew behind the cameras. And sometimes they don't get enough credit, but there's some amazing people that make things happen from gaffers to DPs to, you know, make up anybody, right? Um, what's what's your relationship with, with the crew members? You know, uh, is it important to you to have a... It, uh, have, it's have so a important. I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of welcoming everybody when I see them. It's not just cast. Um, I want to make sure, you know, like there was a few times where... We had to move the sound station when we were shooting outside up a hill. And I'm like, I'm helping. And they're like, no, 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 you're, you act. Well, I would go, no, no, man, we got to get this up the hill. I'm, I'm helping. So I like to be a part of that. And I, and I want to be able to have everyone, um, you know, work, working like a well-oiled machine. So I, I think the crew, I mean, we wouldn't do any, we couldn't do anything without the crew and, and them fixing all the technical stuff and setting up the lights, making us look great. And on top of that, I want them to have a great time on set. So I think it's very important. They're essential, always essential. And I, uh, yeah, especially our Van Helsing crew has just been phenomenal to be, you know, working five seasons with and I can't wait to see them in the morning. It's been great. It's yeah, been it becomes great. a family. I mean, you spend a lot of time on sets yeah. with these with these folks every single and long hours too. On top of it, you know, very long hours. Yeah. So you might as well make the best of it and enjoy you know this comfort. You know, for sure. Even when somebody's having a bad day, there's a way you can just turn it around for a second, you know, and maybe help them get out of it and and then have a great day. You Absolutely, know? no, it's so important. And so, so you started your own venture in Vancouver. Uh, speaking about, uh, it's in, in in Winnipeg. In, in, oh, I'm sorry. This is in Winnipeg. My my apologies. Okay, so this is your home hometown. Like this is where yes. you were born. Wonderlight is the, the the studio that we're looking to um, to open and and to you know we're, right now we're looking for investors. We're doing a bunch of pitches and Manitoba, where I grew up in Winnipeg, is has the best tax credit in North America, if not the world, at 65 percent, and they don't have any infrastructure. So we're looking to build some infrastructure to bring more people down. And and when I started in Manitoba and I did a few things, I, I saw how great the community was. And the arts community in Winnipeg is second to none. So they deserve to have, you know, they are busy shooting films there, but they could be a lot busier if there was more infrastructure and, and more crew. So it's uh, it's a definitely a passion project of mine. And I'm working with a phenomenal team Um and this is, uh, it's one of those, yeah, passion projects that I could see being quite successful, not only obviously for for me, and, and there's a there's a piece of, you know, giving back to the community that started me and uh, and having it, you know, generate jobs within the province and, mm-hmm. and the city that much more. Yeah, so I guess economic development for your hometown is something you, you like to, you know, support and, and contribute to. Absolutely. I mean, the, the growth of this and, and, and the trickle down effect to where, you know, if we build this and, and we have the, the support, you're not only from the airlines are going to be, be working, but you're looking at restaurants and you're looking at hotels, rental cars, you know, and then the inner circle of, you know, the uh, going to a wood shop to get the sets built and all these jobs can be generated. So uh, Van Helsing is, is starting to shoot again, season five coming up. Uh, exciting stuff. Uh, are you allowed to share any information on when when that's happening? Um, we just, I think we're looking at approval by the end of June or early July, um, but we're, we're still waiting to see what the government says to how we want to handle the situation on set. So we're just kind of hanging out and hopefully it'll happen soon. And 
whenever when it, whenever it does happen, we'll be ready to go and finish uh, se- season five, which is our final season, which is pretty amazing that sci-fi um, and Netflix gave us one more season to close out the show as opposed to just being canceled. So uh, half a decade with the show and this character is something that um, it, it, uh, I'll be so thankful to the end of my days, man, because this is the one that really, really am proud of. And then what else is coming up? You got anything else exciting? You want to talk about? Well, I just finished a movie during COVID where it was basically a movie about uh, um, where our biggest thing was that we didn't want a handshake. It was just a handshake. Uh, sorry. There was no handshake on the deal. So it was everyone that shot this movie, was it was on Zoom. Zoom is sponsoring it. And there's eight people in eight different countries. Um, and it's it's a, it's been great during this you know, crazy time of the pandemic. And I got to work with some great friends. And again, we go back to the whole thing of just working with people that you love to work with and Rick Dugdale and Dan Petrie Jr. And a, and a, and a bunch of them uh, producers of 92 um, were, were pivotal in that. So that's keeping busy. And then we, you know, hopefully uh, finish off Snowpiercer because we had to stop because of the COVID. So we're going to finish up the next couple of episodes when we come back and, and a, a few films in the works that that I'm that I'm hoping to be a part of, but we all got to sit tight and wait, man. We got to sit tight and wait. Yeah, awesome. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you taking the time and and talking to me today on Full Focus, insightful information uh, and interview. Thank you so much, and and good luck with everything. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, brother. All right, you got it.